Let's go ahead and start this week off. Oh, man, this week's Bible study. It's a midweek service. Hallelujah. If you will, let open us up in prayer, please. small part 
that was uh, left behind, who had recently returned from exile. Their faith in God was weak, and they were not motivated to build, to build the temple. They needed to learn to conform to the law of God again. Amen. And, and once again, I mentioned, and I'll, I'll keep mentioning, it seems as though to me as I uh, read more and more of the Bible, read more and more of the history books and the prophetic books, uh, you see the same trend. God has a people. He blesses his people. They become powerful and rich and prosperous. They turn their backs on him. He sends a prophet to tell them to give them a warning. Uh, some, some cultures we see, they do repent. And when they repent, God relents. And you just see the same scenario playing over and over and over. And here we are in 2021. And we're dealing with the same story. God took America, uh, a land that was of the natives. Uh, colonials came over here and uh, claimed the land as their own and began to build it. And God had them to build such a prosperous land. America became rich and strong and mighty and prosperous. But as she did that, America began to turn her back on God. And now God is sending warning, uh, warning signs and He's sending prophets and prophetess, men and women, uh, to tell the people uh, everybody's not a prophet. Hallelujah. Amen. So if your pastor is, is, is a pastor, he's the leader of the flock. Amen. All pastors are not prophets and all prophets are not pastors. Amen. Amen. And, and we see this same scenario playing out right now in our society. You know, God is sending warning and he's sending men and women to say it's time to uh, repent. And we have, we have assurance through the word. That when the nation or the land repents, God does relent. Amen. 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 So let's go ahead and get into uh, chapter 12. Once again, I'll be reading from the living translation of the Bible. Uh, only, only for clarity's sake. So that we may be able to glean, especially new Bible readers, to uh, glean something from the word. Amen. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1, it says, This message concerning the fate of Israel came from the Lord. This message is from the Lord who stretched out heaven, who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundations of the earth, and formed the human spirit. Amen. <laughs> that was a good explanation of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Letting us know uh, which God he's talking about. The God, uh, as we say here, Yahuwah, Yahuwah, uh, uh, Elohim, the one who gives life. Amen. The God who as we like to describe it in Christianism, the God who stood out on the mountains of nothing and began to call things into being. He threw the plethora of stars out in their place. He hung the moon and he hung the stars. Hallelujah. Amen. They let us know we're talking about that God. Amen. Amen. And the word that came, he's verse 2, he says, I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that makes the nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. Amen. Amen. On that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather around it to try to move it, but they will only hurt themselves. Oh. On that day, says the Lord, I will cause every horse to panic and every rider to lose his nerve. I will watch over the people of Judah, but I will blind all the horses of their enemies. And the clans of Judah will say to themselves, 
The people of Jerusalem have found strength in the Lord of heaven's army, their God. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a flame that sets a wood pile ablaze, or like a burning torch among the sheaves of grain. They will burn up all the neighboring nations, right and left, while the people living in Jerusalem remain secure. Amen. God is describing his protection. Stuff going to be happening all around us, y'all. But Amen. God is letting us know that everything is going to be okay for his people. Amen. Those who are called by his name. Amen. Amen. Those who he described earlier uh, in, in verse 1 of uh, verse 2, he called them the remnant. And, and that definition, I want to reiterate, that definition of the word remnant doesn't only mean a piece. It, it specifically means a small piece. Uh, uh, seamstress, people who sew, they understand what the word remnant means because there's always a little piece of material that they can use to finish something. Those are called remnants. Amen. So he says, verse 7 says, The Lord will give victory to the rest of Judah first. Mm. Before Jerusalem, so that the people in Jerusalem and the royal line of David will know, I'm sorry, will not have greater honor than the rest of Judah. On that day, the Lord will defend the people of Jerusalem. The weakest among them will be as mighty as King David, and the royal descendants will be like God, like the angel of the Lord who goes before them. For on that day, I will begin to destroy all the nations that come up against Israel. And, you know, as he begins to talk about all of these on that day, on that day, on that day, all of these are references to end time promises. But a lot of it is talking about uh, a book we don't have in our scriptures. It is really sad because that is really kind of an awesome story uh, if you ever read the book, if you're not too scared to pick up the book of Maccabees and read it. But it's just another uh, history book of how God led his people through a battle. A battle that they were not supposed to win, by the way. Uh, and, and, and that miracle is what's celebrated on, on Hanukkah, uh, what we call in America Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is not the uh, American Jewish version of Christmas. And that's what a lot of people think because it's around that same time as December 25th. So a lot of people think that uh, Hanukkah is the Jewish Christmas, but it's not. It's, it's really celebrating the Maccabees, the victory of the Maccabean revolt. Uh, and they had to go up against. Now, uh, we, we talk about this name all the time. Uh, Antiochus Epiphany, Antiochus Epiphany, however you want to say it. Uh, it, it the, the city of Antioch was named after him, so it's Antiochus Epiphany. And he was a Roman emperor, and not only was he a Roman emperor, he was a very vicious Roman emperor. So we understand now uh, that the Maccabeans said that they wasn't gonna take it anymore. Maccabeans was kind of like this culture we live in right now. Well, all those who had been oppressed, because when you start looking at the book of Maccabees, uh, what Judas McAfee began to do is he said, we're not going to take it no more. Because uh, Antiochus, Epiphanes, and his men had come and invaded uh, Jerusalem and 
uh, began to desecrate not only the city, but the last straw is when they desecrated the altar by sacrificing a pig on it. So this, uh, when he keeps talking about in that day, in that day, it's really physically talking about the, uh, the future, uh, the future context is talking about the Maccabean revolt, how God allowed that oil to last. They needed those candles to continue to burn. That's why the big thing with Hanukkah is lighting the candles on each day. Because they needed that oil to last. Uh, and they, the, that oil last. And it was only one, if I remember correctly, they only had one amount of oil, only one. Uh, uh, and, and it lasts long enough for them to win that battle. But it's also talking about end time prophecy as well. See, once again, now we got to remember when we're talking about prophecy, you have to realize that there's past prophecies, those things that have already been fulfilled. There's, 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 there's present prophecies, those things that are being fulfilled in our lives right now. And then there's future prophecy. But not only is it future prophecy, there's end time prophecy. And those can be different. Because what, what the Maccabean revolt is to this writer, to Zechariah, the Maccabean revolt is future prophecy. But then when he starts talking about the end time, the apocalyptic prophecy, that's end time prophecy. So it's, 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 it's prudent uh, that we would be uh, wise enough to be able to distinguish the difference between those prophecies. Well, one, one of the Bibles, the Bible that I have here that I'm using is the King James rendition, but it has uh, in the ledger of all the symbols that's in this Bible, it tells me that the open faced star means that a prophecy uh, has been fulfilled and then the solid star tells me that that's a future prophecy. So this Bible helps me out a lot to be able to distinguish. And your Bible does as well. A lot of times you see markings and different things in your Bible. Uh, and I may be helping you out right now. You see open faced stars next to certain scriptures and you probably wonder, well, I wonder what that means. Or if you see a closed star, a solid colored star, and, and you wonder, well, I wonder why that's there. And there's certain scriptures, uh, especially in the Psalms, that have a musical bar next to it. So there's a lot of symbols in the Bible that uh, a lot of people are not aware of why they're there. But uh, these symbols are there uh, to let us know whether these prophecies have already been fulfilled or we're waiting for them to be fulfilled. Hallelujah. So Zechariah, uh, in his writings, he's mixed both future and end time together. Amen. So let's go ahead and get into verse 10. He says, Then I will pour out my spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me who, uh oh, they will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him uh, and mourn for him as for an only son. Hmm. I'm going to read it again real slow. I want you to think about where you heard this language at before. They will look upon him whom they pierced and mourn for him as, as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. The sorrow and mourning of Jerusalem on that day, once again, will be like the great mourning of Hadad Rimon in the valley of Megiddo. Uh oh. In the Valley of Megiddo is short for the word where we get our word Armageddon from. Uh, the Valley of Megiddo is the place. The word Armageddon is the event. Amen? All right, verse 12. He says, All Israel will mourn, each clan by itself, and with the husbands separate from their wives. The clan of David will mourn alone, as will the clan of Nathan. 
the clan of Levi, the clan of Shimei, uh, Shimei. Each of the surviving clans from Judah will mourn separately and with the husbands separated from their wives. Amen. So in this prophetic book, we see a lot of talk about uh, end time. The one who they pierce. Now remember, most of the uh, most of the people who hung on the cross who died, they would go by after so long and break their leg. Because it's almost quitting time, y'all. It's almost time to go home. You got to remember now. They came to work at 9 in the morning. Remember, they didn't just do this to Jesus and those two uh, that, that, that was on each side of Jesus. Mm -hmm. That was a way of Romans embarrassment. If you did a crime that, 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 that was worthy of you being publicly humiliated, it was death on the cross. So it wasn't just Jesus and those two thieves that day. That was a way. They tell me that one road going into the city uh, it would be crosses lined up and down the highway because that's the way that they killed people back then. So uh, we have to remember the Bible says they would look up on the one that they would pierce, that they would pierce. Well, Jesus wound up getting pierced in the side because prophecy had to be fulfilled because the prophet had already prophesied, I think that's in Psalms, that none of his bones would be broken. And when it got close to quitting time, because they would put him on the cross at nine in the morning, you could read it. The Bible says that they attached him or they crucifixed him to the cross at, at, on the third hour that, that, that morning. And he hung in up there and then he went to the sixth hour and the Bible says that's when the, the sun stopped shining. So all of this has ramifications because it, Jesus' bone, no bone in his body could not be broken. And when it got, uh, it, it, the, the sixth hour, then when he got to the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., that's when the Bible says that he gave up the ghost. Well, you got to realize what was happening is as they would have fixed him to the cross, uh, death on the cross is suffocation. That's the type of death, that's what that is. It's public humiliation because you're up there basically uh, bare naked. I think they might have had a little loincloth around them or something, just for illustration. I don't even know if that was true in the real crucifixion. Uh, but as they would hang on the cross, the weight of their body, they tired, they've been, they've been struggling all day long. So the weight of their body would begin to go down. Well, what they would do is they would begin to tiptoe to keep, uh, to keep being able to expand their lungs to breathe. Well, when it get close to the end of the day, uh, even in, in Jesus' case, uh, Joseph of Arimathea came and said, we got to get the bodies down because the Sabbath is coming, the sun is going down, and the bodies couldn't be left on the cross overnight. So what those who was, who was on the cross would do, they would begin to tiptoe to try to stay alive a little longer. It's a natural instinct. A part of you want to die because you want the struggle to be over, but it's natural human nature for us to try to stay alive by all means. So what they would do is if they wasn't getting close to dying before the end of the day so they can get off work, they'd go by and break their knees with a hammer. And that way they couldn't push up and get those extra breaths. But with Jesus, the Bible says that when they got to Jesus, uh, they figured he was already dead, so they didn't break his knees. They pierced him in the side. That's how the piercing in the side came about. And Zechariah had already prophesied this. Now, our notes we just read on the summary of Zechariah said that chapters 9 through 14 was written in about 480, uh, BC. 
So you see, this was written some 370-some years before Christ was born. But it was written about him. Hallelujah. That's the thing about a prophecy. And, 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 and to even recognize the prophecy, you have to be able to recognize that his bones wasn't supposed to be broken. That's how he wound up getting pierced. That's how this wind up by being prophesied by Zechariah. So you see, God, God has continuity. And, 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 and one, one key mark, uh, one uh, obvious thing about a person, a successful person, is they have continuity in their life. Most successful people, and this is why we got to get out of the habit of thinking that a lot of money makes us Because <clears throat> we know a lot of people that's got a lot of money, but they don't have no continuity in their life. They're, 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 there's no stability in their life. They got a lot of money to cover up their mistakes. Amen. Amen. So we are looking at a prophecy, an end time prophecy being fulfilled right here uh, in Zechariah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's go ahead and do uh, chapter 13 since we're here. Amen. 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 Somebody go ahead and start reading for me. Somebody read verses 1 through 6 for me. Zechariah 13, somebody read verse 1 through 6. Pastor, before we go there, I got a question. Uh -huh. uh, when it says that in verse 12, the land will mourn each clan by itself with their wives by themselves. Can you explain that verse? What verse is that? Number 12, when it says, well, my Bible, I'm in the NIV, it says the land will mourn each clan by itself with their wives by themselves, the clan of the house of David and their wives. The clan of the house, the clan of the house of Nathan and their wives, the clan of the house of Levi and their wives. Okay, yes, sir. Let me see. That's kind of toward the end of the uh, twelve. Yeah, that's kind of toward the end. Let me get that real quick. Why does it mention? I mean, is it is it a specific reason they they mention the wives or? Uh. Why they without their wives? Let's see why they separated. Hmm. Let's see why they separated. Might be a good reason. Huh? So it's talking about a universal and an individual mourning. <laughs> you know, we talk about how uh, in the Old Testament, the theory was that if the daddy was saved, the whole household was covered. Of course, in this new dispensation with Jesus, everybody has to accept Christ for themselves. So it's talking about uh, a universal mourning that the husband, the wife ain't gonna be able to hold on to the husband's strength, and the, the husband ain't gonna be able to hold on to the wife's strength. He says, and the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart from their wives apart. Uh oh, hold on, I hit something. Amen. It even goes on in the notes to say you can use David and Nathan representing the highest and the lowest of the uh, royal order. Nathan not the prophet but the young son of David. So from the, from the oldest to the youngest. Remember that one scripture. I forget what prophetic book we had just read. Maybe Habakkuk or uh, Nahum? Haggai. Haggai. It was Haggai, Habakkuk or Haggai. The Bible says that the Lord will be looking for them in the daytime with a candle. Of course, in our language in 2021, we would say, looking for you in the daytime with a flashlight. So in other words, ain't nobody going to get away. 
Ain't nobody going to escape. This judgment is going to go across the board. Now, the thing with our children, wives apart, Jewish female worship separately as male. Of course, we know that as well, too. Back in the temple, uh, that's why Paul made that comment about uh, women should be quiet in church. He wasn't saying that women shouldn't teach. That's not what he was saying. Uh, what he was saying was because they worship separately. The men would be over here. Uh, there's a lot of religions that still do that today. When the women would be over here. I don't know if you ever noticed, whenever they show a mosque and they show the Muslims praying on their prayer cloth, you see all the men. It ain't that the women in that church, they just in their room doing their thing. So basically what he's saying, just to put it in its lowest common denominator, is every individual going to be mourning on their own. But no, Russell says this represents the mourning that's led by the civil or the royalty mm -hmm. and the priesthood. Mm -hmm. That's what I like when you ask the question. That's what my mind is because why did he say Nathan and David? Then Levi, and then Shimmy is the son of Levi. So it's just showing that we're going to be led, the mourning's going to be led by not only the government, but also the priests. The rich and the poor. The high and the mighty. The black and, you know what I'm saying? He's given us, uh, let, let me think of that New Testament scripture. He, he, he gave us some parallels. He said, whether you Jew or Greek, uh, male or female, born or slave. See what he's doing? He's making, he's making uh, comparisons against polar opposites. But what this is saying, he's making comparisons against polar opposites, but he's saying is nobody's going to escape this morning. Your money, in other words, your money and your power ain't going to get you out of it. Everybody's going to be more. That's the, that's the time, that's the time that we're living in. See, the, 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 the bad thing, well, I guess it's a good thing because that's what they want us to do is think television is real. But the bad thing about it is television ain't real. When you're on the set, you get to see all the lights and cameras and people working behind with cue cards and you know when you're looking at TV you just see the actors and the actresses and that looks real but if you could look behind the actors and the actresses and see what's going on behind the scenes so in, in this dispensation we live in this dispensation can be directly correlated to uh, what Zachariah is writing about. And not just Zachariah, uh, all the prophets that we've read. And that's just a habit that I have, is when I come and teach, especially, uh, not especially, but all scripture, we know that one of my things about teaching the Bible is to get the people to get it, get to what phase of Bible study? Application. Application. How does this fit us today? And too many times, we're reading scripture with the past tense mind that that only happened to them back then. Too many times, we're not bringing, we're not bringing it up to speed to where we are today. And, and, and to me, that's a travesty that we would not get to the third phase of Bible study, which is an application. How is this applicable in my life today? So, especially when we're looking at these prophetic books, we have to ask ourselves, what part of this is pointing toward us? Watch this. Let me, uh, let me find something real quick, and I want us to go ahead and, and check something out. Go to 2 Timothy. 
is God breath and is used for, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Mm -hmm. So to the servant, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped mm -hmm. for every good work. Mm -hmm. So you see in America what preachers are saying now, uh, especially black preachers, well, the word is to encourage. 
They got some encouraging stuff in here. But the Bible just told us that the word is, is a rod of correction. That's, and to put it in simple terms, that's what it's saying. Amen. Now, we like to change stuff in America because when stuff don't fit us and it don't make us feel good, we just change it to something that do make us feel good. That's just the way we think as Americans. Well, if you look, the first thing is, you know, we always been taught, you know, how the order is important. Mm -hmm. and the first thing is profitable for doctrine. So you should be getting your doctrine out of the Bible mm -hmm. first and foremost because how many people are making up their own doctrine? Right. That's what I'm saying. Whatever makes us feel better, that's what we do. And what don't make us feel better, we just don't touch it. So one of the things that I try my best to do, I try to teach on things that I got problems with in my life too. And a lot of people tend not to do that. You'll never touch your issue or your flaw. Well, I just try to teach on mine too. That way it's fair. I teach on everything. So in these prop now the reason I went here is because in these prophetic books, he's telling us, let's go, uh, let's go back to uh to the book, to uh, Zechariah. Now watch this. Let's go back to chapter uh, we did last week. Let's go back to chapter 11. I think it is 9 10. What he say the priest the problem? I think it was in, I think it was last week. Oh, you know what? I think that might be what I did this weekend. That might be in Hosea. Uh-huh. He says, really, the problem that I really have? He said, the problem is not really with the people, y'all. The problem is with the priests. It's in Hosea. Because why, remember what he said? He says because when the people bring their sin offerings, the priest just eat it up. And the next verse says, therefore the priest love when the people sin. So if I'm benefiting, huh? Well, okay, so we did a study, might have been last year, mm -hmm. about how the priest was taking which uh indulgences mm -hmm. and that's what i'm saying it right mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a it, it used to be i don't know if it still is in 2021 but uh back in the day it used to be a tenant of the catholic church they would sell indulgences yeah and if you would buy an artifact because what an indulgence is it's an archaeological artifact so they dig in around Jesus' house or around Nazareth where Jesus used to live and they find a baby bottle or a hairbrush or any article that belonged to Jesus, Mary, you know, any of the apostles, anybody that they could see in scripture that was anointed, they would sell that to one of the church members for salvation. Mm -hmm. If you bought this, if you got this relic in your house, well, that was one of, that was one of, uh, that, that's a section of Martin Luther's 95 pieces. One section of his 95 theses is talking about the selling of indulgences. Now, I, I said this many times, and I'm going to give y'all one more chance. How many of y'all have looked up Pope Leo X? <laughs> that book, Pope Leo X? Pope Leo X almost broke the Catholic Church. Now, that part's a <laughs> But he was so extravagant and so selfish, he almost broke the Catholic Church, y'all. 
Now this is the kind of stuff, remember what I told you when you was ready to go to school? And I, I tell everybody that. And I don't say that to dissuade you from going. I'm really trying to build you up because we know a person that went to school and wind up leaving Christianity. Because if your faith ain't strong enough and you gonna learn, I'm telling you, when you learn the truth about what has happened to God's word, the Bible, throughout history, and in turn, which makes things happen to the church. Because when you manipulate the word, you manipulate the whole church. Hallelujah. Amen. So you can manipulate your church and do nothing to the word. But if you manipulate the word, you manipulate the church. You understand what I mean? We could be teaching dead wrong here. That don't affect nothing. But if I, teach the, if I can start teaching, the, the, if everybody start teaching the Bible wrong, the word wrong, that affects the whole church. And when you look back at what has happened in church history, namely, Leo X, uh, Martin Luther's 95 BC, uh, St. Augustine comparing the Sabbath keeping with circumcision. How do you even compare the two when one is in the Ten Commandments and one not? What, what would even bring your mind to compare those two? That's my this. How many times are people comparing Muhammad Ali to Mike Tyson? Why would you even compare the two? So, in our effort to uh, in our human effort to, for lack of a better term, to be successful, we begin to veer away from God to gain our own success instead of continuing to follow the path that God has for us. Because how many of you know and can agree that if you stay on the path that God got for you, that is success. Amen. You may go through trial, tragedy, tribute. Watch this. Don't rich folk parents die too? Don't rich folk houses catch on fire too? Don't they get in car wrecks too? Don't their children get hooked on drugs too? So we kind of got this thing in our mind that, oh, if I just get this money, all my problems. No! You'll get the money. It's very possible all your problems going increase. Oprah is a billionaire, but Oprah paid millions in, in, in bills. See, we're not there, so we pay hundreds in bills. But I don't care how much money you got. You paying bills equal to how much money you got. So we 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 leave in God for, and the prophet said this. The prophet says that we are turning our backs on God when it's God who bought us out. Amen. I'm, what I'm doing is I'm trying to find some of this stuff that I read uh, this weekend in the sermon. Real love. Yeah.
How many of y'all know that's what, that's what God is doing for us? He wants to bless us. He is a blessing God. He's in the blessing, he's in the people blessing business. But we make it hard for God to bless us in our disobedience. But this is why we read Hosea, though. Remember, the end of the story was this. He says that uh, our scripture reading was Isaiah 11, chapter 11, verse 7. He says that my people always turned away or backslide from me. But by the time he got to chapter 4, I think it is in verse 14, in chapter 14, in verse 4, he said, I'm going to heal their backslide. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> ain't that a good thought? Amen. Yeah, y'all wrong. Y'all ain't no good. He said, but I'm going to love you anyhow. Amen. Now watch this. Watch this. That's what's happening in our home. That's what's supposed to be happening in our home. I'm mad at you. You got me disgusted. I'm frustrated with you. But I'm going to love you to the end. <laughs> I know I'm putting y'all on the person. But that's what it's saying. Watch this. Because in Hosea, what was he using to show his love for Israel? What was he using? A real human marriage. He was using, he used for his example, a real human marriage to show his love for the adulterous, prostituting Israel. I thought that was phenomenal. Amen. I really did. I, I, God blows my mind. I was actually reading my notes as I was eating one day, and I wanted to tell somebody in the restaurant, did y'all know this was in the Bible? That God told him to go marry a prostitute, and it talks about how she went prostituting herself around. Now watch this. Prostitute is a nice word, because one version, uh, I think it might be the King James, it says she went a whore. You say the word whore in church and everybody think you're tripping. The word in the Bible, y'all. Well, why are people tripping? Because they don't know their Bible. They don't know that. They don't know that these love stories, these intimate stories, are in Scripture. So what we try to do is show the parallels between what is God, what God was saying to the people then, as opposed, or not opposed, but relative to what God is saying to us now. And we cannot separate the two, y'all. That is one of the biggest dangers that's going on in the church today, is we acting like all of these scriptures are supposed to stay in the past with the people that, that, that is right about. But I'm telling you that our job is to always bring every, script, every scripture we read, every scripture we read, our job is to bring that thing up to the third phase of Bible study, and that's application. How does this apply in my life today? And I always like to pick up that old crazy scripture about uh, Paul wrote in Corinthians about sacrificing uh, eating meats that's been sacrificed to idols. Now, how does that apply in our life, our life today? <laughs> it does. It has ramifications. Because in that same story, he begins to talk about those of us uh, who get all high and mighty and somebody lay a plate of food in front of you and you talk about, I don't eat that. But right away, what did Paul say? Eat what's set before you. Why? Not for your conscience, but for what? No, 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 no. Let's not speed through this now. He gave us a list of what to eat. We're supposed to eat clean and healthy. He says, but if you go to somebody's house, and somebody invites you to the house and you go, and they sit something in front of you, he says, eat it. Not for your conscience, not worried about, oh, I'm putting this pig inside of me. He says, for their conscience. 
so that they would know that meat does not commend you to God. But a true relationship does. Because they got a lot of people that don't eat pork. They may as well be eating pig because they mean as rattlesnakes and they're sleeping around. They're doing all kinds. So you may as well go eat some pig. Amen. Trying to act all holy and righteous and pious on the outside. But Jesus said, our hearts, right? He said, watch this, Mark chapter 11. He said, we worship God, what? With our lips. He said, what? But our, our hearts are far from him. So we really, we, what we really trying to do with looking at these prophetic books is look at the detriment that we're putting ourselves and even worse, even worse, we leaving our children up. think is that second commandment? Don't you, uh, uh, don't make no graven images? Or is the third commandment, don't make nothing with your hands or use my name in vain? Well, he attaches this thing. He said, because I am a jealous God, yeah. I'll visit the iniquities of the fathers and the forefathers down what? The third generation. Three and four generations. And here's our children that will bring to the kitchen here. And a lot of times, they talked about this. This was a study that was on TV just this morning on the news. Children grow up doing what they see parents doing. Sad to say, but that's, that's how our children learn. So, uh, I kind of talked a little long on that. 13. But, I want to make sure that we understand that what we're doing here, uh, because sometimes we can get into the habit of thinking that this is just Bible study. It's just Bible study, it don't matter if I'm there or not. But the people who come to Bible study, sometimes their faith is way far ahead of the people who just come to worship service, or who don't come at all. Now that's not to judge anybody's Christianity. I'm talking about your faith level. This is why some people, one thing can happen in their life, they fall apart. Another person who really been trying to serve God, something can happen in their life and they can stand strong through it. It doesn't mean that, that you're gonna cry or, or, or have remorse, but you can make it through it. You know you're gonna make it through it. Amen. 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 Any more questions or comments from the close? I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna try to go into uh, chapter 13 right now. I, think I, I, I won't have time to finish it. Hey man, just, uh, you know, I had called you about the cup. Uh -huh. In chapter 12, verse, chapter, chapter, Zechariah chapter 12, verse two. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. he said, God gonna make, gonna, gonna, the cup is always an analogy of a measure. Right, a measure. Yeah, an amount. Right. Amount poured out. Right. So, uh, Jesus, remember Jesus in the garden said, if it's possible, let this cup, or this measure of grief, is what he was saying. Mm -hmm. If it's possible, let this measure of grief pass me by. Uh, it's another place where uh, he talked about the cup. And it's used as a an illustration of measurement. Even watch this. Uh, what prophet that was when we read, I think that was in Zechariah, huh? Uh, the woman in the ephah. 
Uh, it's in Habakkuk. That was it, huh? The woman, the woman sitting in the ephah, and the two, the two stalk came in. That was uh, Habakkuk. Yeah. See, so once again, over that, that not Habakkuk. And, and I tried to point that out during the message. Not Habakkuk. That, that illustration. It's not about the vessel that she was sitting in. It yeah. is about the amount that was filled in the. Come yeah. on, was it a tub? Oh. Now it was a light lampstand, the gold lampstand. No, no, no. Olive tree. It was a tub. Uh, said said that a woman was sitting in a barrel, or, or whatever word it used. But it wasn't. It's not the container that is concerned about. And, and what I tried to drill home was when you measuring something, when you baking something or cooking something, and you and you take a measurement, you don't measure the vessel that is in. You measure the quantity of what you put in the vessel. It's ephah. It's you see what I mean? Yeah. Ephah. So it said, yeah, it was an ephah. Ephah. So it, it but. The ephah represented what? We, uh, wickedness. wickedness. That's right. Wickedness. That's right. You see, so it was, what it was saying was she was sitting in, it in such a large amount of wickedness. Is the illustration it was trying to give. Uh, let, let me see if I can think of another one where we could see uh, cut. Um, well, he doesn't actually use cut in this one. I thought he did, but he just said um, Jeremiah poured out. He, said, he used the word poured out. Uh, but the word is used all over to illustrate a measurement. So, it's, watch this. He said, he, he said in the New Testament, he says, God has given to every man a measure of what? That's right. It's once again a measure. Now, the implication being my measure may not be your measure. And vice versa, your measure may not be my measure. God pours out to every man uh, a measure of faith for every person. Now, as you grow and you walk in Christ, your faith should do what? Expand and grow. You should be getting bigger in faith. Because he says, all you really need at the beginning is a faith of a what? Size of mustard seed. Mustard seed. But that's what you get in the beginning when you get saved. Amen? It'll work for you your whole life, but trust me, what you go through at 18, you going through, trust me when I say it, those in this room know what I'm saying. What you went through at 18 that you thought you couldn't stand, I bet you you went through something hard at 28 and realized, whoa, <laughs> what I went through at 18 wasn't that bad after all. And wait till you get 48. God forbid, but when you get 50. See, in other words, what I'm saying is, the, the more mature you get, the more your faith grows, the more things happen in your life so that your faith may begin to grow. Watch this. The Bible says that what? Iron. Sharp and iron. Mm -hmm. In other words, that's how your faith grows. You gotta go through hard things for your faith to grow. Your faith will never grow if you uh, only stay at the mustard seed level. Although the mustard seed is sufficient, it is a measure of faith. And we know the illustration of why he used the mustard seed because as small as it is, it has just that much power. But as we walk in Christ, as we have the different experiences in life, our faith should grow in God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. Isaiah 51 and 17, you come through. Awake, awake, stand on Jerusalem. You who have drunk at the hands of the Lord the cup of his fury, you have drunk the dread of the cup of trembling and drained not. It's really saying the same thing as the same as Zechariah. Would you say that is 51 and what? 17. It was it's saying the same exact thing. Yeah. And once we start reading these prophecies, whether they major prophets or minor prophets, 
they say the same thing. They're talking about the uh, Babylonian captivity. It's talking about when they will be in exile in these other countries, or it's talking about end time prophecy. All the prophets basically talk about the same thing. So, if God keeps saying the same thing over and over, what is He really doing? Teaching, trying to get our attention. Yeah, teaching. He, he, you know, because some people learn this way, some people learn this way, some people, you know, some people might catch it out of Isaiah, some people might catch it out of Zechariah. That's what I was talking about at the beginning. I'm realizing that each generation, you can see the same thing happen. God has a people. They they don't start off too well. God lifts them up, exalts them, prospers them, heals them, makes them rich and healthy. And as soon as we get to rich and healthy, what do we do? See you later, Lord. See you later, Lord. That's right. I'll be back when I need you again. And, but this is the good part about God. God is not like us. Thank God he's not like us. Because when they leave and they come back, that's the story of the prodigal son. That's the story. Because the Bible, now remember how the prodigal son started out. First of all, he ain't the oldest. He don't even have right to what he's asking for. He ain't the oldest. But loving daddy did what? He broke it off anyway. The Bible says he did just like us. He went and lived a riotous life until he found himself living with Jesus. And not only living with him, but he's the same food they were So he says to himself, man, I could do better than just back at the daddy house. So he really didn't go back to his daddy house to try to be a son. He really went back to his daddy house just to be a servant. But the Bible says daddy saw him a fall off, which the teaching implication is he was looking for him. He didn't have to, he didn't have to stand seeing him a fall. He was actually physically looking for him to come home. God is looking for his children to come home. Our name's in the book of life. God knows we're coming. Your name being in the book emphatically means that you're going to say yes to Jesus one day because God didn't make no mistake. There ain't going to be nobody at the end where God's going to be reading the list of names in the book and it's going to be some people going to be like, uh, Chapman, <laughs> Chapman, oh, he not here. Uh -uh. If your name in that book, you come. Hallelujah. Amen. That's God's predestination. That's right. It wasn't by happenstance. He was physically looking for him every day. That's how he saw him fall. Amen. And God is using all of these things as he told Israel. He says, I'm constantly reaching out with an outstretched hand to a stiff-necked people. God just wants us to come home. Amen. And honestly, I'm going to say this in the close. And boy, I just got to tell the truth about it. It really doesn't matter about what you're doing or not doing. You pre, you pre, you predestined. Your name in the book. You come. And most of us try our hardest to run most of our life. That's why he says, what, come what? Come, come to the Lord. I know you're dirty. That's what he said, too. Serve him in your youth. Serve him in your youth. Serve your creator in the day in your youth. And mm -hmm. what do we know about youth? Proverbs says it over and over. Youth equals what? Father. Mm -hmm. So he know we tripping. <laughs> he said his word. Youth is folly. But he says, come to me in your youth. That's right. So we done got this teaching in our in, in, in our head, in our vernacular, 
It is good to tell people how to act right. The Bible has said that the Bible was written to, uh, in, to uh, for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction. So it's good to tell people where they're wrong at. But we 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 gotta be careful not to tell people about their wrongness, implying that they're not saved because of it. Amen. Did I say that right? Mm -hmm. Amen. We gotta be careful when we telling people about their wrongs. We gotta make sure that we're not implying that they're not saved, because mm -hmm. we see all through what we've been reading. God is a forgiving God. Mm -hmm. Look at look at the parable. Of the, come on, y'all stand. Look at the parable of the world. He said, "Can I do with my stuff what I want to?" Why are you worried about how he's getting paid? That's why it's a law. Why, how many of y'all know there's a rule on most jobs that you don't discuss pay? Yeah. That's why. Because you will find out a joker who got hired three weeks ago making more than you. And you mad about that. But the CEO of the hospital looking at you like, hold up, man, this can't I do with my money what I want to? That ain't fair to you. <laughs> but they got a little joker coming here three weeks ago and he making five dollars more than me. But we can't tell people what to do with their own stuff. Let them work it how they want to work it. And just trust that God got your back. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Deep prayers out here. Lord, we pray. Father, 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 once again, thank you for allowing us to come together and study these Old Testament prophets. Father, we see just as it was in the days past, it is in the days now. Yeah. And Father, we just glad that we can glean something out of it. When we see, Father, how you restored your people, no matter how evil and how they turned their back from Come you, on. you always restored them, Father, mm -hmm. and brought them back. Mm -hmm. Allow us to do that. Allow us to do it with other people, too, Father. Yes. Allow us to be the leaders in this, Father, that we just don't keep destroying people and keeping them down just to make ourselves feel good. Mm. So, Father, we thank you for these words, and we thank you for the teaching that we're just not reading it as a story. Mm -hmm. It does have application in our lives and the life of all the fellow women, Father. So, Father, as we leave here, allow us to be doers and just not hearers. And we ask this in your son, Yeshua Hunter, in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Our God, people say, Amen. Amen.